0: Hi and welcome to my latest podcast. I'm super excited you're joining me as we go through the Gospel of John and we look at Jesus through the eyes of one of his best friends and we come across some incredible theological gems, some wonderful stories and just an amazing perspective that's really different from the other three Gospel writers. So buckle up and join me, Paul White, as we Saunter through the book of John. We are on chapter 16 today, so let us pray and welcome the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. We thank you that Jesus achieved everything he had to achieve so that he could send you to be with us and to be him with us we're so grateful to you holy spirit and we love you and we want you to fill our homes today fill our lives in jesus name amen good morning pat and mike i hope breakfast is good we are looking at chapter 16 today and let's see how we get on so Jesus has been giving them quite a, his disciples quite a kind of interesting kind of meal of warnings and encouragements because he's about to go to the cross. He knows what's ahead of him. He knows how painful it's going to be. But he also knows that things are going to get tough for the disciples. Morning George and Fran. And so he's been warning them, and he says, "I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away." Now the word there for falling away is the word "scandalon," which is, or comes from the word "scandalon," which is like a snare that traps an animal or a gin trap that snaps shut and traps the animal so that it's caught and you know becomes a prey to the hunter. And Jesus is saying, actually, there's a hunter who's hunting you and there's a very high risk of you getting snared by the events that are about to follow. And I'm telling you these things to warn you, to safe help you safeguard yourself so that you don't have to become um, uh, captive or fall away and lose the incredible gains that you've made from walking with me so he says i've said to you these things to keep you from falling away to keep you becoming ensnared verse 2 says they will put you out of the synagogues indeed the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he's offering a service to god wow that's pretty hectic isn't it so jesus is saying listen guys they they're going to be people who think they're on a mission from god to kill you destroy you throw you out of the synagogue good morning admire and he says so these things are coming right up and of course it's so true and in the early days of the church there were people including the then soon to be apostle Paul but at the time he was known as Saul he was a he was motivated by hatred and hostility for the church and for the believers and he he literally got permission from the rulers of the synagogue to round up these Christians and put them to death and or bring them captive put them in prison and many of them face their death in the end good morning Lorna and good morning Kathy so Jesus is saying things that are definitely going to happen and people are going to think they're serving God by doing it now throughout the church's history there have been those who have thought it's their duty to round up people who they believe to be heretics and subject them to incredible tortures. Heretic being someone who doesn't believe the actual kind of mainstream belief of Christianity at the time, of course. This is, <laughs> it is kind of a bit relative. And so um, we in, in the, Engle- the history of England, we have many wars and um, kind of brutal seasons of our history that are based on people doing precisely what jesus is predicting here so it's not just in that first um, few weeks and months and years after jesus death and resurrection and return to the father but it's gone on through history and english british history is full of it and it's painful and bleak and they will do these things because listen to this they will do these things because they have not known the father nor me so anyone who behaves like this is indicating really they don't know God, they don't know the Father, and they don't know me. So he said, uh, you know, this is this is a so far departure away from true faith and true religion, true love of God, and so on. And he says, verse 4, But I've said these things to you that when their hour comes... You may remember that I told them to you. So he's saying, listen, guys, forewarned is forearmed. I've told you, you know, it's going to happen and it's going to be it's going to be challenging. So you need to remember that this is all part of the necessary process that's going to happen. So then he says, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me and none of you asks where are you going But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. So we know the helper is the Holy Spirit, the one who's called alongside to be the counsellor, the comforter, the the um, spirit of Jesus living inside us. He says that Jesus is saying, actually, I know this is difficult for you and I know there's sadness in your heart, but it's actually ultimately going to be for your advantage. You'll see. But then he makes his statement. He says, none of you ask where I'm going. Well, actually, Peter had asked him something similar to that in John 13. Thomas had asked him something similar to that in John 14. So I'm not quite sure what Jesus is getting at here, but I guess what he's perhaps saying is none of you are asking me like about the cross and what's coming up there, or maybe not. I don't, I'm not quite sure what Jesus is meaning by that, but he says, actually, this is all, you know, although this is a sad time, sorrow's filled your hearts, and I'm sure it's been a real dampener on our lovely meal together actually in the end you're going to see that this is to your advantage because the counselor the the helper will come and when and and because I will send him to you so if I go I will send him to you that's incredible isn't it I remember I think it was Joan Tolman saying, oh, he made it. He made it because he was able to send the Holy Spirit to us. It means that he ascended to his father. It, it means that he actually made it there. And he's been able to complete the purpose for which he came, which was to not only redeem the world by giving his life and paying for our sins and making a way for us to to know God and for us to be ultimately in heaven forever with him or on the new heavens and a new earth whatever it's going to look like but he also was able to send the holy spirit this is all part of jesus's mission was to send the holy spirit this helper to be in every place at once so jesus as i've said before jesus was limited by a physical body it was incredible that God could compress himself somehow into a human form and live on the earth as a human being. It's utterly incredible and mind-blowing. And yet, mind-blowing as it was, and incredible as Jesus in his incarnate form was, he could only be in one place at one time. But now, because of the Holy Spirit, he can literally be around the globe, living in countless millions of believers. And carrying on his work through them, which is just such an incredible masterstroke. I love it. And so he says, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer, and concerning judgment because the ruler of the world is judged. So Jesus is saying, literally, the Holy Spirit is going to convict the whole world. and, And Jesus could preach to thousands, but he couldn't preach to the whole world at once. And he said the Holy Spirit is going to do that. He's going to convict the whole world. Now, let's just think a little bit about that briefly. He's going to convict the world. He's going to... They're, they're going to know, they're going to know that they're, they've become convicted of sin because they don't believe in me. Concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. And concerning judgment because the ruler of the, this world is judged. And so Jesus is saying this is going to be what the Holy Spirit does. Now we know he does lots of other things as well but he's going to um he's going to just kind of reinforce that sense because Jesus has come there is a decision that requires to be made and there is a repentance that needs to happen a turning away from sin that needs to happen and it's um that we the earth really stands condemned until we individually respond to Jesus and we receive the gift of life and it's the Holy Spirit who does the work of convicting us of that. Now you could say that the court of heaven is sat and the conviction has been made and so there it is, whether people believe it or not. But also the Holy Spirit does a personal work in terms of convicting our hearts and bringing us to a place of repentance. I've had the, I've, I, I've spoken to many, many people, and I've thought this is such a good conversation. I really feel like I'm able to articulate the truth well. I feel like there's kind of a particular flow on it i do you know what I mean? I feel like this is this is going well, and then at the end of the conversation, the person will be still no more convicted no more determined to give their life to Jesus than they were before or so it seems and what needs to happen is the Holy Spirit gets to work in that person's heart and makes my words or the words that Jesus has spoken through me burrow away in that person's heart and here's a beautiful story that really um that really kind of for me captures what I'm talking about so John Wesley the famous Methodist um, preacher he was bef- he founded Methodism he saw God move incredibly through the length and breadth of the British Isles and he rode thousands of miles each year on horseback and he used to write books and pray and you know and all the rest of it read the Bible and stuff whilst he was riding Um, incredible isn't it and so he traveled miles and miles and miles like that and I guess his horse knew where to go and stayed on the road and it was all right Um, But one day, or one night, it was getting dark, and he gets held up by a highwayman who robs him of his money. And John Wesley, being the man of faith he is, he just preaches at this guy, and he shouts out one word loud and clear, and he says, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses you from all sin. And the highwayman is cantering off into the sunset with Wesley's money bag, and that's the end of it or so it would seem then years later john wesley's preaching in a particular town or village and this guy comes up with him comes up to him after as he's never met before and he says do you know what he says on such and such a night i robbed you i was the highwayman who robbed you of all your money and you shouted out after me the blood of jesus christ cleanses us from all sin and he said do you know what that word sat on me and i could not shake it off and it just kept bothering me and troubling me until one day i finally surrendered my life to jesus and i'm a disciple of jesus now and here i am i don't know if he gave him his money back that would have been even better but he did. well he's even better but it would have been it would have been a nice end of the story but the point was that the word at the time didn't seem to do the job and yet that word had the Holy Spirit on it, and the Holy Spirit just made it work on him and convict his heart. And that's what we need to see happen. And oh my! And I think we can pray for people that God will do that by His Holy Spirit, that He'll bring that immense conviction in um, in our hearts, in the person's heart that we're talking to. That's cool, Fran. So John Wesley came to Weymouth. Nice. And he was an incredible apostle um, of Jesus. Right, so he says, um, so the root, but the, this whole thing the Holy Spirit is going to do is threefold. It's convicting the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. And actually, do you know, at the time Jesus was saying these things, there were people saying all manner of things about him, including that he was an imposter, he was demon possessed, he was illegitimate. And so on and so on and so on, and that he was trying to tear down the the time honored law of Moses and all these kind of things. And so, but he, the Jesus, the Holy Spirit brings conviction of Jesus's righteousness. Verse twelve, he says, "I have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now." When the spirit of truth comes, here's another name for the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth. Well, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth and the life. The Holy Spirit is also called the spirit of Jesus. But here he's called the spirit of truth. We want to know the truth. We need to know the spirit of truth, who is the one who wrote this book that we're talking, that we're looking at right now. He's the one who's working in our hearts even now. He says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. Where have we heard that before? Jesus said the same thing, didn't he? He said, I don't speak on my own authority. I speak on the authority of the one who sent me. I don't just speak my own words. I speak what I hear already from the one who sent me. I don't do what I just feel like doing I do what I see the father doing I don't act independently of the father and, and here he is the same the holy spirit the comforter again like Jesus allos paracletos is that comforter another one of the same kind another one same as me is coming and he doesn't speak on his own authority but whatever he hears he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come listen to this he will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you so even though we don't physically have jesus with us anymore we have the holy spirit who is declaring the words of jesus to us he doesn't speak independently let me just finish it and then we'll comment on this a bit more All that the the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So just as Jesus faithfully declared the words of his Father, the Holy Spirit is going to faithfully declare the words of Jesus, which are the words of the Father. And so the Holy Spirit will not say anything. So even if we're in a charismatic environment where people are speaking in tongues and prophesying and speaking out at the kind of unction or under the kind of what's the word under the empowering or the um, yeah under the empowering of the or the influence of the Holy Spirit those words they speak if they are genuinely of the Holy Spirit they will not contradict what Jesus has said they will not contradict the Father but they will just bring further clarification further light and just kind of emphasis really and sometimes there is a particular word for now that the Holy Spirit will bring to our minds and it's like wow that's always been in the Bible I've always known it was there but now it speaks to me now it's really speaking to me and I feel like it's got a now kind of tag on it it's like got an urgency about it that this is this is applicable to my particular situation now. So the Holy Spirit does precisely that, but also what Jesus is alluding to, and I think it's really interesting to see, he's alluding to the gospel the um the the apostles who will write down the gospels. They'll literally the book we're reading, the Holy Spirit inspired it, John's Gospel. The Holy Spirit inspired the Gospel of Luke, the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of Mark. He breathed it out into the right into the as the writers wrote it down, and they used their memory. The Holy Spirit breathed into them and gave them emphasis and perspective that the others didn't have, and so on. And then when Paul and James and Peter write the um, epistles, they they write at the same under that inspiration under that compulsion and kind of leading of the Holy Spirit and so he says what he hears he will speak and he will he will guide you into all truth so Paul the apostle brings out things in his letters that the other the gospel writers don't really perhaps expand on very much or maybe they allude to it or there's a little reference here or there But Paul kind of under that guiding and leading of the Holy Spirit fleshes it out and gives us more kind of more of an understanding of it. And so the Holy Spirit guides us into all truth. Right. So uh, where are we going? It's verse 16. A little while and you will see me no longer and again a little while and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is this? that he says to you, a little while, and you will not see me, and again a little while, and you will see me. And so they were saying, um, and because I'm going to the Father, so they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he's talking about. And Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, is this what you're asking yourselves, what I mean by saying a little while, and you will not see me, and again a little while, and you will see me? truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. So Jesus is saying there's a time just literally we're on its very, very threshold where you're going to weep. You're not going to see me. I'm going to be taken away from you. I'm going to be nailed to a cross. I'm going to be shoved in a horrible, cold tomb and you're not going to have me. You're not going to see me. And actually you're going to weep. But there are those out there in this world, the workers of evil who are going to be rejoicing. The the chief priests, the rulers, and the, the people who would oppose Jesus every single day of his ministry, they're going to be rejoicing, but you're going to lament. And then he's saying, but in a little while you will see me. And so he's kind of reminding them that he said that he's going to be raised from the dead. He's kind of made reference to that before. He says, you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. Listen to his analogy. This is gorgeous. He says, when a woman is given birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. It's like, I can't not do this now. I'm literally, it's starting. I know it's going to be painful. I'm on this. The contractions are getting going. My body is taking over. My brain has got very little to do with this now. And this baby is going to come out. And it's like events have been set into motion and Jesus is saying events right now are set into motion that cannot be stopped and she and he says when a woman is given birth she has sorrow because her hour has come but when she has delivered the baby she no longer remembers the anguish for a for joy (laughs) come on that a human being has been born into the world now let me just say this hats off to every mum who's ever delivered a baby her own baby i mean gosh what a challenge what a what a massive upheaval it is to the body and oh my some of the war wounds that our dear lady friends and sisters and mothers and wives undergo to deliver these precious bundles of joy but they literally can be there this poor mum all bashed up and bleeding and wounded being sewn up by the, the the doctors and nurses and so on and yet the joy of the baby overcomes all of that anguish and pain and every mum has got a story and they they are like warriors who've been through a war they have war stories of how it was for them and yet the 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 overwhelming joy of holding that baby makes the sorrow and the pain and the difficulty of what they've been through kind of fade somewhat into Um, because it's overshadowed by something even greater. And Jesus is saying, listen, guys, for you, it's going to be like that. You're going to have this time of immense anguish and then it's going to be replaced by overwhelming joy and you're going to forget the sorrow that you've been through. Isn't that incredible? And so, do you know what? Jesus is still doing that in people's lives. He's still bringing joy into a life that has been full of pain. Jesus arrives on the scene and turns our sorrow into joy, turns our mourning into dancing and turns our sorrow into joy. He still does that. That is not a cliche. That is still happening in people's lives around the world as they discover the one who's loved them with an everlasting love and paid for their sin and able to bring absolute healing into all their brokenness. Just so cool. So he says, verse 22, So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy away from you. Boy, they did try, didn't they? There were many attempts to... All of the disciples, I think, apart from Judas, who hanged himself, and John, who was died in exile, I think, um, all the rest, were martyred for their faith and thousands and thousands and countless numbers since have been martyred for their faith because the devil wants to steal our joy he wants to take our joy away and he said no one will be able to take your joy from you isn't that incredible what a promise in that day you will ask you will ask nothing of me truly truly i say to you whatever you ask of the father in my name he will give it to you until now you've asked nothing in my name ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. So he's saying, now you can go direct to the Father and ask in my name and he'll give it to you. And we've had already Jesus talking about that relationship that we have with God in prayer and how even as we pray, we're bearing fruit and yet it's him doing all the work. It's amazing, but it still counts as fruit for us. Just so nice, isn't it? Right, verse 25, he said, I've overcome these things to you, sorry, i've overcome i'm reading the heading i have said these things to you in figures of speech the hour is coming when i will no longer speak to you in figures of speech but will tell you plainly about the father so jesus is saying i know i've used a lot of metaphors a lot of imagery and the, you know i'm doing that it's kind of and sometimes i think it's really helpful to have the figures of speech and preachers do it we all do it when we're illustrating a point we use similes we say oh it was like so and so or it's like this or like that and we we're doing that because we have to try and communicate something profound and we try and use analogies and similes and so on and he says i've said to these said these things to you in figures of speech but the hour is coming when i will no longer speak to you in figures of speech but will tell you plainly about the father and that day You will ask in my name and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf for the Father himself loves you for you have loved me and have believed that I come from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world and now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. So Jesus is saying, listen, I'm giving you this relationship with the Father for yourselves because he loves you. He really, really loves you because you've loved me. He loves you. His heart is for you. And so now I've given you access to him. You can come direct to him and ask what you will, and he'll give it to you. And he says... I came from the Father and I've come into the world and now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. So he's kind of making it, he's trying to kind of cut out all the imagery and just pare it right down and say this is really what's happening. And his disciples said, ah, now you're speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know, now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. So we know that. We know, we believe you came from God. And Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home and will leave me alone. Yet I'm not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation but take heart, I have overcome the world, wow, Jesus is saying, like, the guys are, like, really kind of, like, yeah, we get it, we get it, we get it, we believe, we believe, Jesus, and Jesus said, do you, do you believe, because actually, the time is coming, guys, look at me, he's saying, look at me, the time is coming, when each of you is going to be scattered to your own homes, so, yes, great that you believe, that's really cool, Um, But do you know what? Don't underestimate the difficulty of the time you're about to come into where each of you is going to be scattered to your own homes. Good morning, Anne. And uh, he said, and you'll leave me alone. I think that hurt Jesus's heart. I, I really do believe that as a human being, and even as the heart of God, I believe the heart of God is grieved, is capable of being grieved. And Jesus knew that for all their plucky assurances, these guys were actually still going to crumple at the last minute and were all going to be gone and scattered. And Jesus was going to have to to face the cross on his own. And he says, yeah, I'm not alone for the father is with me. And then he makes this profound statement. He said, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. You may come to that shalom, that place of well-being, that place of rest, that place of absence of striving. You come to that place of rest and here is his word. He's about to go to the cross. He's about to take on the sin of the whole world on himself. And yet he says this profound statement. He says, in the world... You will have tribulation, you will have difficulty, you will have opposition, you will have pain and suffering, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So as Jesus is about to embark on this incredible journey to the cross and go through all the ordeal of that and the pain and gruelling stuff on his own heart, he's saying, you know what, Uh, take heart because I have overcome the world, I'm not going into this battle to lose, I'm going in assured of victory, come on, thank you Jesus, we love you, thank you that you went through that cross for us and thank you that you won the most profound victory on our behalf and Jesus we love you and we receive your peace today in our hearts, amen. Have an amazing day, guys.